This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello and thank you for joining the programme today. We're following Nampka Pal's text, Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun, and are going through the section on developing bodhicitta using the method called exchanging self for others. You might remember two methods are used in the Tibetan system, the seven-part cause and effect method and the method of equalizing and exchanging self for others. We're going through the second, which considers first the disadvantages of self-cherishing and then the advantages of cherishing others. This goes on to meditating on great love for all beings and then great compassion, seeing all their suffering. Tong Len is part of this meditation. When realizing all the suffering brings go through and wanting them to be free, out of great compassion we meditate on taking all that suffering onto ourselves and giving all our happiness to others. Now perhaps that can be our motivation today. We can think something like, may my participation in this program be the cause for the happiness and relief of all sufferings of all living beings. Through this, may I attain enlightenment as the best way to help all living beings attain happiness and be free from suffering. Well, something like that. But if you really can't think in such, such terms, at least motivate for your own complete liberation from suffering. That, I think, is something we can all, all personally strive for, seeing as every one of us wants happiness and every one of us wants to avoid suffering. So now, let's set our motivation. Thank you. On Tong Lin practice, Namkapal's text actually has two sections, taking on the suffering of beings themselves and then taking on the unsatisfactoriness of the environment they, re- they inhabit. We're still thinking of taking on the suffering of beings themselves, and in this context, in our last program we ended with a reading from the first chapter of Pema Chodron's book, Tong Lin, The Path of Transformation. In it, she describes how to practice Tonglen in everyday situations, like when you're in a supermarket seeing a stressed-out mother slapping her temperamental child. If you were with us, you may remember she wrote, It is painful for you to see, but there's really nothing you can do or say at that moment. Your first reaction might be to turn away out of fear and try to forget it. But in this practice, instead of turning away, you could actually start to do Tong Len for the little girl who's crying and also for the angry mother who has reached the end of her rope. You can send out a general sense of relaxation and openness or something specific like a hug or a kind word or whatever feels right to you at the moment. It's not all that conceptual, it's almost spontaneous. When you contact a painful situation in this way and stay with it, it can open up your heart and become the source of compassion. Pema Chodron then goes on to talk about how to deal with upsetting emotions in difficult personal situations. She says, for example, you might be having a painful argument with your spice or your boss at work. They're yelling at you and you don't know how to react. So you can start to breathe in the painful feelings and send out a sense of spaciousness and relaxation with the outbreath for yourself, for the person who's yelling at you, and for all the other people who are dealing with a similar difficult situation. 
Of course, at some point, you have to react to the person who's yelling at you. But by introducing some space and warmth into the situation, you will probably deal with it more skillfully. And that is where we ended last time. Now I wonder, did you have any opportunity to practice this over the last week? And if you did, did it make any difference to the way you deal with turbulent emotions? Perhaps you may have noticed not much effect. But don't worry, it is beginning times and the more we practice this, the easier it will be. And I think you will notice becoming much happier. Well, surely we can all do with some warmth and space in emotionally claustrophobic times, even if our habits lean towards violence, retaliation, faulting and shaming and seem very strong. Now let's continue with a bit more of Pema Children because what she writes comes so from the heart and is so useful. She next talks of using Tonglen to clear the resistance we sometimes feel when encountering the suffering of others. She writes, You can also do this practice when you feel some blockage to opening and developing compassion. For example, you see a homeless person on the street who is asking you for money and seems to be an alcoholic. In spite of your desire to be compassionate, you can't help but turn away and feel disgust or resentment. At that point, you can start doing Tonglen for yourself and all the other people who want to be open but are basically shut down. You breathe in the feeling of shutdownness, your own and everybody else's. Then you send out a sense of space or relaxation or letting go. When you feel blocked, that's not an obstacle to Tonglen, it's part of the practice. You work with what feels like blockage as the seed of awakening your heart and as connection with other people. She goes on to talk about an even more basic level of using Tonglen, something we can do when going from one place to another during our day-to-day -day business. She says, This practice is to walk down the street, perhaps for just one or two blocks, with the intention of staying as open as possible to whoever you meet. It is a training in being more emotionally honest with yourself and be, being more emotionally available to others. As you're walking, you could relax your posture and have the feeling that the area of your heart and chest is open. As you pass people, you might even feel a subtle connection between their heart and yours, as if the two of you were linked by an invisible cord. You could think to yourself, may you be happy as you pass them. The main point is to feel a sense of interconnectedness with all the people you meet. Well, if you are feeling somewhat exposed and embarrassed by doing the practice, just acknowledge it and realize that other people are probably feeling the same way. You may notice how people glance briefly at you as they approach, usually at a safe distance so it isn't obvious, in an automatic gesture of reaching, reaching out. And perhaps they are looking for someone who would be friendly to them and say hello, someone they could genuinely connect with. Sound familiar? As you encounter each person, acknowledge your thoughts and emotional reactions towards them. Notice if you feel a sense of attachment, aversion or indifference towards the people you pass. But don't add any self-judgment on top of it. You might see someone smiling, which could cheer you up on the spot and make you open further. Or you might see someone looking depressed, which could spark feelings of tenderness and compassion. 
notice when you begin to shut down or open up. But if you do find yourself shutting down, you don't blame yourself. You can simply empathize with all the people who are shutting down in the same way and aspire to be more and more open. Also, if you feel a sense of delight or pleasure on your walk, you could wish to share it with the people you meet. And then finally, Pema Chodron takes a leaf out of Shantideva as a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, to swap oneself for others. She writes, First imagine the people you are working with as vividly as possible. Be very inquisitive and spend some time really trying to stand in their shoes and see the world as they do. And what do they feel? What do they want? What do they fear? Just taking this much interest in a person can go a long way in developing appreciation and concern for them. To take it a step further, think that you are them and they are you. You are standing in their shoes and you are now looking at yourself as the other person sees you. How do they see you? As just a neutral person? As a potential friend? As an enemy? As an arrogant person? As a warm person? What would they like for you to give them? A hug? An encouraging word? An open and attentive ear? Appreciation for their intelligence and their talents? An apology? Forgiveness? By trading places, you discover that what the other person wants is pretty much the same as what you want. And that way, you are equals. Perhaps you also discover that you have never really seen them or heard them before, that you haven't appreciated them or treated them fairly. Based on this new understanding, you may open to them more the next time you see them. Well now, do you think you can practice this? Putting yourself pretty much in someone else's shoes and then looking at how they see you? Perhaps, as Pema Chodron says, we could really get some insight into our relationships through such a practice. You may remember what the Vietnamese master Thich Nhat Hanh recommended to one of his young students who was having a very hard time communicating with his father. He hated his father and could not even send a letter to him. Thich Nhat Hanh advised him to spend a week putting himself in his father's place, as his father was in the present. And then after that, spend a week putting himself in his father's place when the father was a five-year-old boy. Through these practices, the student was able to find a totally different outlook on his father and was able to finally write him a letter of understanding and love. So the practice of Tonglen is not only sitting in the me on the meditation cushion, visualizing and breathing in suffering and breathing out happiness. It's a practice we can do at any time and at all times of our lives to open ourselves out and break the barriers that we build against others. Isn't that wonderful? And, but now we come to the section on practicing Tonglen for the environment. In mind training like the rays of the sun, Namkapel has this to say. Think that all the impure realms within the ten directions, which are the products of actions and disturbing emotions, are transformed into pure worlds. Geshe Shawopa remarked that this doctrine of training in love and compassion, by way of taking all sufferings and their origins upon yourself, and providing others with every happiness and virtue, is a practice for banishing fear. Now the environment in the time of Nam Kapel was very different from what it is today. I think people were much more in tune with their environment and perhaps didn't have the capacity to exploit it that we have today. 
But the Buddhist thought is that we are so interrelated with our environment that exploiting the environment is tantamount to destroying ourselves. His Holiness the Dalai Lama describes the Buddhist concept like this, and you can find it on the website of His Holiness under the title, The Buddhist Concept of Nature. He says, So whether it is the environment that is inhabited or the inhabitants, both of them are composed of four or five basic elements. These elements are earth, wind, fire, water and vacuum, that is space. About space, in the Kala Chakra Tantra, there is a mention of what is known as the atom of space, particles of space. So that forms the central force of the entire phenomenon. When the entire system of the universe first evolved, it evolved from the central force, which is the particle of space, and also it would dissolve eventually into this particle of the space. So it is on the basis of these five basic elements that there is a very close interrelatedness or interrelation between the habitat, that is the natural environment, and inhabitants, the central sentient beings living within it. Also, when we talk of the elements, there are internal elements which are existent inherently within sentient beings. They are also of different levels. Some are subtle and some are gross. So ultimately, according to Buddhist teachings, the innermost subtle consciousness is the sole sort of creator, itself consisting of five elements, very subtle forms of elements. These subtle elements serve as conditions for producing the internal elements which form sentient beings, and that in turn causes the existence or evolution of the external elements. So there's a very close interdependence or interrelationship between the environment and the inhabitants. Within the meaning of interdependency, there are many different levels, that things are dependent upon causal factors or upon their own parts or the conceptual mind, which gives the label, the designation. The topic that we are discussing here is the interrelationship or interdependence between the natural environment and the sentient beings living within it. According to Buddhist teaching, there is a very close interdependence between the natural environment and the sentient beings living in it. Some of my friends have told me that basic human nature is somewhat violent, but I told them I disagree. If we examine different animals, for examples, those whose very survival depends on taking others' lives, such as tigers or lions, we learnt that their basic nature provides them with sharp fangs and claws. Peaceful animals such as deer, which are completely vegetarian, are gentler and have smaller teeth and no claws. From that viewpoint, we human beings have a non-violent nature. As to the question of human survival, human beings are social animals. In order to survive, we need companions. Without other human beings, there is simply no possibility of survival. That is a law of nature. Since I deeply believe that human beings are basically gentle by nature, I feel that we should not only maintain gentle, peaceful relations with our fellow human beings, but also that it's very important to extend the same kind of attitude towards the natural environment. Morally speaking, we should be concerned for our whole environment. Then there's another viewpoint, not just the question of ethics, but a question of our own survival. The environment is very important, not only for this generation, but also for future generations. If we exploit the environment in extreme ways, even though we may get some money or other benefit from it now, in the long run, we ourselves will suffer, and future generations will suffer.
When the environment changes, climatic conditions also change. When they change dramatically, the economy and many other things change as well. Even our physical health will be greatly affected. So this is not merely a moral question, but also a question of our own survival. Therefore, in order to succeed in the protection and conservation of the natural environment, I think it is important, first of all, to bring about an internal balance within human beings themselves. The abuse of the environment, which has resulted in such harm to the human community, arose out of ignorance of the importance of the environment. I think it is essential to help people to understand this. We need to teach people that the environment has a direct bearing on our own benefit. I'm always talking about the importance of compassionate thought. As I said earlier, even from your own selfish point of view, you need other people. So if you develop concern for other people's welfare, share other people's suffering and help them, ultimately you will benefit. If you think only of yourself and forget about others, ultimately you will lose. And this is also something like a law of nature. To think more deeply, if you must be selfish, then be wisely selfish, not narrow-mindedly selfish. The key thing is the sense of universal responsibility. That is the real source of strength, the real source of happiness. If our generation exploits everything available, the trees, the water, the minerals, without any care for the coming generations or the future, then we are at fault, aren't we? But if we have a genuine sense of universal responsibility as our central motivation, then our relations with our neighbours, both domestic and international, will prosper. His Highness goes on to talk about the relationship between our environment and mental peace. In any case, he says, These days we human beings are very much involved in the external world, while we neglect the internal world. We do scientific development and material development in order to survive and to increase the general benefit and prosperity, but equally as much we need mental peace. Yet no doctor can give you an injection of mental peace, and no market can sell it to you. If you go to a supermarket with millions and millions of dollars, you can buy anything. But if you go there and ask for peace of mind, people will laugh. And if you ask a doctor for genuine peace of mind, not the mere sedation you get from taking some kind of pill or injection, the doctor cannot help you. That's His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Thich Han echoes these words in a statement he made to the United Nations on climate change. You can find this statement on the website of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and on the Plum Village website. And this is what Thich Nhat Hanh said. This beautiful, bounteous, life-giving planet we call Earth has given birth to each one of us, and each one of us carries the Earth within every cell of our body. The Earth is our mother, nourishing and protecting us in every moment, giving us air to breathe, fresh water to drink, food to eat, and healing herbs to cure us when we're sick. Every breath we inhale contains our planet's nitrogen, oxygen, water vapor, and trace elements. When we breathe with mindfulness, we can experience our interbeing with the Earth's delicate atmosphere, with all the plants, and even with the sun, whose light makes possible the miracle of photosynthesis. With every breath we can experience communion. With every breath we can savor the wonders of life. 
We need to change our way of thinking and seeing things. We need to realize that the earth is not just our environment. The earth is not something outside of us. Breathing with mindfulness and contemplating your body, you realize that you are the earth. You realize that your consciousness is also the consciousness of the earth. Look around you. What you see is not your environment. It is you. Whatever nationality or culture we belong to, whatever religion we follow, whether we are Buddhist, Christians, Muslims, Jews or atheists, we can all see that the earth is not inert matter. She is a great being who has herself given birth to many other great beings, including Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, prophets and saints, sons and daughters of God and humankind. The earth is a loving mother, nurturing and protecting all peoples and all species without discrimination. When you realize the earth is so much more than simply your environment, you'll be moved to protect her in the same way as you would yourself. This is the kind of awareness, the kind of awakening that we need. And the future of the planet depends on whether we are able to cultivate this insight or not. The earth and all the species on earth are in real danger. Yet if we can develop a deep relationship with the earth, we'll have enough love, strength and awakening in order to change our way of life. We can all experience a feeling of deep admiration and love when we see the great harmony, elegance and beauty of the earth. A simple branch of cherry blossom, the shell of a snail or the wing of a bat all bear witness to the earth's masterful creativity. Every advance in our scientific understanding deepens our admiration and love for this wondrous planet. When we can truly see and understand the earth, Love is born in our hearts. We feel connected. That is the meaning of love, to be at one. Only when we've truly fallen back in love with the earth will our actions spring from reverence and the insight of our interconnectedness. Yet many of us have become alienated from the earth. We're lost, isolated and lonely. We work too hard. Our lives are too busy and we are restless and distracted, losing ourselves in consumption. But the earth is always there for us, offering us everything we need for our nourishment and healing. The miraculous grain of corn, the refreshing stream, the fragrant forest, the majestic snow-capped mountain peak, and the joyful birdsong at dawn. Many of us think we need more money, more power or more status before we can be happy. We're so busy spending our lives chasing after money, power and status that we ignore all the conditions for happiness already available. At the same time, we lose ourselves in buying and consuming things we don't need, putting a heavy strain on both our bodies and the planet. Yet much of what we drink, eat, watch, read or listen to is toxic, polluting our bodies and minds with violence, anger, fear and despair. As well as the carbon dioxide pollution of our physical environment, we can speak of the spiritual pollution of our human environment, the toxic and destructive atmosphere we are creating with our way of consuming. We need to consume in such a way that truly sustains our peace and happiness. Only when we are sustainable as humans will our civilization become sustainable. It is possible to be happy in the here and the now. We don't need to consume a lot to be happy. In fact, we can live very simply. 
With mindfulness, any moment can become a happy moment. Savoring one simple breath, taking a moment to stop and contemplate the bright blue sky, or to fully enjoy the presence of a loved one, can be more than enough to make us happy. Each one of us needs to come back to reconnect with ourselves, with our loved ones, and with the earth. It's not money, power, or consuming that can make us happy, but having love and understanding in our heart. We need to consume in such a way that keeps our compassion alive, and yet many of us consume in a way that is very violent. Forests are cut down to raise cattle for beef, or to grow grain for liquor, while millions in the world are dying of starvation. Reducing the amount of meat we eat and alcohol we consume by 50% is a true act of love for ourselves, for the earth and for one another. Eating with compassion can already help transform the situation our planet is facing and restore balance to ourselves and the earth. There's a revolution that needs to happen and it starts from inside each one of us. We need to wake up and fall in love with the earth. We've been homo sapiens for a long time. Now it's time to become homo conscious. Our love and admiration for the earth has the power to unite us and remove all boundaries, separation and discrimination. Centuries of individualism and competition have brought about tremendous destruction and alienation. We need to re-establish true communication, true communion with ourselves, with the earth and with one another as children of the same mother. We need more than new technology to protect the planet. We need real community and cooperation. All civilizations are impermanent and must come to an end one day. But if we continue on our current course, there's no doubt that our civilization will be destroyed sooner than we think. The earth may need millions of years to heal, to retrieve her balance and restore her beauty. She will be able to recover, but we humans and many other species will disappear until the earth can generate conditions to bring us forth again in new forms. Once we can accept the impermanence of our civilization with peace, we will be liberated from our fear. Only then will we have the strength, awakening and love we need to bring us together. Cherishing our precious earth, falling in love with the earth, is not an obligation. It's a matter of personal and collective happiness and survival. Once we can accept the impermanence of our civilization with peace, we will be liberated from our fear. Again and again we come back to this factor of mental peace that is so vital in establishing our communion with ourselves and with the earth. Let's give the last word today to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He says, Even today sophisticated computers cannot provide you with mental peace. Mental peace must come from the mind. Everyone wants happiness and pleasure, but if we compare physical pleasure and physical pain with mental pleasure and mental pain, we find that the mind is more effective, predominant and superior. Thus it is worthwhile adopting certain methods to increase mental peace, and in order to do that, it is important to know more about the mind. When we talk about preservation of the environment, it is related to many other things. The key point is to have a genuine sense of universal responsibility based on love and compassion and clear awareness. And now with that, our time is up and we must say goodbye. Maybe we can f talk more about this next time. 
please dedicate any positive potential from the program to gaining enlightenment for all living beings. I hope you will join us again next week. Go in peace. Thank you and goodbye. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.